do you think? A little bit? Yeah, ready? All right, we're pretty excited about this series. Now, several of you this morning have already asked about the beard. Where'd the beard go? It's been an issue, right? Disappointed, right? So I'll tell you, there's a lot of reasons that the beard went. Um, but first, it's because I felt old. And, and that's your fault because... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was coming through here on a, on a, when our students were here, and a young man named Ralph, he's like, ooh, pastor, I like the beard. Kind of got that uh, Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford vibe. <laughs> I looked it up, Harrison Ford is 80 years old. <laughs> then last week, Seth, our worship director, is like, I kind of like it, kind of like that, got, got that David Letterman vibe. <laughs> David Letterman's 76 years old. So I'm done, moving on. And I'm excited to be up here. Raph did a great job these last three weeks, but to get into this Love in the Long Shot. Some of you might remember, a few of you might remember us doing a series called Love in the Long Shot three years ago. Thank you. Right? So don't think like, hey, we've run out of series. This is just so core to who we are. We're redoing it. It's different this time, so it's not, this, it's not a recycle. Um, but this phrase is really part of our DNA. And a lot of you, most of you were not with us in 2020. So we're going to Get into that. So the phrase, love in the long shot, it's a, it's a betting term. I hope you're okay with that, right? So it's just, it's, it's some, long shot just means it's something that's against the odds. The odds of your success are not good. That's a long shot, right? So uh, uh, let's talk about basketball, because that's what we do a lot here. Um, the Denver Nuggets uh, most likely are going to win the NBA title tomorrow night for the first time in history of the Denver Nuggets. They've been a franchise for 47 years. They've never won a title. All right, they're about to, they're up 3-1. They're probably going to close it out tomorrow night. Now, I looked, the, the odds, right, the Vegas odds on Denver winning the title just a few months ago, before the, the playoffs started, right, were plus 800, right? Now, some of you know what that means. Shame on you. That means you'd have to bet $100 to win 800. So a few months ago, if you bet on the Denver Nuggets, you'd met you had eight times your money, right? Pretty good return. $100 would turn into 800. That was them going in. That was, they were the number one seed, but people just didn't believe in them. At the beginning of the season, right, October, their odds were plus 1,600, meaning if you bet $100, you would 16 times your money. You'd make 1,600 off 100 if you bet on the Denver Nuggets at the beginning of the season. Today... Their odds of winning the title are minus 8,000, meaning you have to bet $8,000 to win 100, right? That's not good. Yeah, those are not good odds, All right? They were a long shot because most people didn't think they would win. And we, culturally, we love sports, life. We love a comeback. We love a long shot. We love an underdog. And this whole series is about God loves the long shot. He really does. And we're going to prove that. I'm going to prove that to you with a specific story that I love to tell, one of my favorite uh, events that happened in the life of Jesus. Um, and I'm putting this table center because it's a, center, it's a story that centers around a table, right? Some of you did some tabling this week, didn't you? Yeah. Was it good? Was it good? Did they feed you well? Yeah. All right. We had a great table the other night at the Jackson's house. Friday night was beautiful. I know some of you tabled even last night and still made it to church. That's good. Um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, Raf Gonzalez, our associate pastor, just did an amazing series on tabling, back to the table. Um, and so we have this tabling initiative this summer. So the, there was a week that just ended. There's a week in July and a week in August where you can do one of two things. Either sign up and go to somebody's house and be fed and enjoy that fellowship. Or you can sign up and host, which we need some people to, to host tables because we almost ran out of room. So if you'd be willing to do that, go on the website to the uh, relentlesschurch.cc. 
what's happening page and you can jump in on all that. So this event, I don't like to say story because it sounds like, a, like it's a fairy tale. This actually happened, these are real people, all right? So it happened around a table. We talk about relationship over religion a lot. We're, we're about relationship, not religion. Well, the religious folks were called the Pharisees. They were a group that, that led the Jewish people and they were in charge of keeping all the rules and they were, they were the people that Jesus kept coming after and coming at. Well, all of them weren't against Jesus. There was one who will learn his name, Simon. Simon was curious, so he invited Jesus to dinner, right? So this is kind of like a power meeting here. We've got um, Simon on this side of the table and he invites Jesus and there's a few other people kind of watching. This are, these are big players um, in, in the game. And Jesus comes over and it says that they recline at the table because I hope you guys didn't do this last night, um, but they laid down and ate. Like, don't do that at our tabling. That's weird, all right? So how they would do it is they would put their feet behind them and they'd kind of lay on an elbow and they would eat like that. I don't know how that works digestively, but that's how they did it back in the day. So they're, rec- they're laying down, they're chilling. Uh, Jesus is here, Simon is here, and it's, that's, that's the scene. And then an uninvited guest shows up, right? I don't know how that would go at tabling if you, you got the list of people and then somebody you've never seen at church or in your life just walks in like as a stranger. So a stranger walks in, but she's not a stranger because uh, this all comes from Luke 7. I'm gonna get to the verse by verse part, but I just want you to tell the story to give you the scene here of what this is huge for us as a church. This woman um, in Luke 7 walks in uninvited and everybody in the village knows her based on reputation, right? The way Luke says it is that a woman of the city who was a sinner showed up, right? In the first century, if you were known through the city as a sinner, as a woman, there's not a lot of options we have. She's most likely a prostitute that made her living from sinning. And she shows up at this religious leader, Simon, and Jesus, son of God. And she comes in and she's an emotional wreck, right? You ever, don't look at your wives, fellas, right? You ever seen just like, she is, she is emo, she is crying as she walks in. Like it's awkward from the beginning. She walks in and she's crying. Like she's not like whimpering. She's crying enough that it says her tears are wetting the feet of Jesus. His feet are getting wet. So she's crying, she's sobbing, right? And it says that she begins to wipe his feet with her hair, right? So we know she has long hair, Otherwise, if she had short hair, she'd be like a dog, like, that'd be weird, right? So she's, right, she's, she's drying his feet. And then we learn later, as you see, she's kissing his feet, all right? So some of that's cultural, but you talk about awkward. Woman's crying, and she's got this ointment, like a, like a perfume or cologne that she's, that she's rubbing on his feet, uh, which is just all a sign of honor, right? So what, what would have caused such a, this is a bold, this is first century, she could, she could lose her life for this. Like you don't go uninvited if you're her. She barges in and she's so emotional. What, what's, what has happened? We don't know, but we know. The only thing that makes sense is that she must have heard the message of Jesus, right? He had been going around preaching and healing and helping people. So either somebody told her that heard the message of Jesus or she heard it for herself. Something happened to her. She heard the message of Jesus, which is that there is a grace that's available for everybody. And everybody means anybody and anybody meant her. So whenever she heard this, she was like, where is he? Oh, he's at Simon's house. I'm going, you can't, I'm going. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, and she just comes in and it's the presence of Jesus and it's whatever she's heard about the message of Jesus. She is emotional, believing that there's something I'm invited to 
I've never been invited to anything my whole life. And this guy's speaking for God, and he says I'm invited to whatever he's doing. And if you, don't, if, if you were the kid that got picked last, if you were the kid um, you know, that everybody got invited to the party, today it's so hard on our kids, right? I probably, there's probably 100 parties I didn't get invited to, but I didn't know because it wasn't on Snapchat and Be Real, right? Now everybody knows about what it is. So, so if maybe you were the kid and you can get there emotionally, if you were the one not picked or not invited or whatever, right? So she had never been anything except condemned in her life. And now she hears the message, there's something, there's a love and acceptance that is yours no matter what. Remember, some of you, it's been a while, you need to, remember when you were moved by the grace of Jesus, the offer to be accepted and loved where you are? Well, she is just uncontrollably weeping at the idea that I could be a part of this thing, this gospel that we define, the incredible news. We don't say good because good isn't a big enough word. It's incredible news that you can be rescued from sin, death, and hell and adopted into his family and belong to the God that created you. Like it just wrecked her in a beautiful way. So she doesn't care if she's invited. She comes in and she does it and she's crying and she's doing all this. And then it says that the Pharisee does something you should never do. Future note, if you're ever at a dinner party with Jesus, don't say anything under your breath, right? Because with Jesus, he's Jesus and he knows, right? He can read your mumble and he knows what you're thinking. That's really unfair. Jesus knows everything that's going through your mind. So we don't know if Jesus just had supersonic ears and then repeated it, or if he told through the Holy Spirit, told Luke, hey, put this in there. I want the people to know what Simon was thinking in his head. So we have record of what Simon muttered under his breath. What he muttered under his breath was, if this man were a prophet, meaning if he were close to God, or some even say son of God, if he were anything with God, then he would know who's making this whole big deal over his feet. He can't possibly know. If he knew who she was, then he wouldn't allow this. He'd kick, he'd rebuke, he'd say, get off me, woman, quit crying, get off, you know, he, he didn't do any of that. So Simon's actually really awkward. He's been looking forward to this, Jesus coming over, two big power players, it's a big moment for him, and he's like, Oh, no, you don't know, do you? Like he has no, you can't be somebody close to God. If you were close to God, you would know who's crying all over you. Everybody else here knows who she is and what she's done, and you must not because you're not stopping it. So he's kind of like, you know, you're done, man. Your ministry is over, right? And there's not a good analogy today, so I'm going to give you a bad analogy. Is that all right? All right, so I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say a name because that would go against everything, the heart of this message. But let's say there's an influencer on Instagram that has 16 trillion followers, and, and she's a woman, and she gets a lot of followers because she shows her butt cheeks on Instagram all the time, and everybody just loves her. She's the most famous butt cheek shower in the history of Instagram, all right, <laughs> whoever she is. And she's coming through Raleigh to do some butt cheek convention, I don't know. Um, <laughs> And she comes to Relentless Church, and God touches her like he's touched so many of us, and she comes to Jesus, and she, she's never been loved and accepted with the love and acceptance of God, and she just, she's so excited about the gospel, and God moves in her life, and she wants to find me, and we don't do any of like the celebrity pastor worship stuff, and we don't do pictures with me, but she's like, I got to take a picture with you, and she takes a picture with me, and she blasts it all over Instagram, right? And, and then I got pastor friends out of town calling me like, dude, what is going on? Like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you're on Instagram with, do you know who that is? I don't know who that is. Well, you should probably know who that is 
because it's all over everything, right? So that, again, that's a bad analogy, but it's just a little bit of what Simon's like. You can't be who you claim to be because if you were, this is the definition of religion. If you were who you claim to be, then you wouldn't let her do that. You would get away from her. That's what godly people do. They get away from sinners and you're not doing it, so you're ruining your whole reputation. You're done. How does Jesus respond, right? In a movie, this would be like the music would be up, and he looks at Simon, he's, his, he's not even acknowledging her. He looks at Simon and he said, I got something to say to you, right? You ever had a man look at you and say, I got something to say, it's usually not good. I got something to say to you. And Simon's like, say it. Go, you go, go, go read Luke 7, that'd be great homework, right? I'm, it's, it's, it's better than you, it's real, right? He, say, he says, say it. I think he's like, yeah, please change the subject. Please, like do something. Everybody, she's crying crazy. Like, please, come on, let's just move past this moment. So yeah, do something, Jesus. I don't know, you can't, I don't know what you think you can do to spend this. Like, you're not getting out of this. Like, you've just been cried over by a prostitute and you have no idea. So yeah, say what you're gonna say. So Jesus proceeds to tell a story, All right? He tells a story to the room and he tells a story about two people in debt. And he says, one guy owed 50, All right? One guy owed 500. Now he did denarii, which means nothing to us, but there's... One's a small amount, one's a huge amount. He said, the banker calls both guys in, the one who owed 50, the one who owed 500, and he said, you don't owe anything anymore, right? I don't know if you've ever been in financial debt. Like, have, I don't know if you know the emotion of like having a debt and then it finally making that last payment on whatever, right? The, the 50 was, denarii was, and that, like, that's something that is like, a more, like you'd pay off and maybe one day. 500 was such a big number, like you're just, you have no hope, right? So the banker calls him in, Jesus tells the story and says, both debts are canceled. Then Jesus asks Simon the question, hey, who do you think loved the banker more? The one who got the 50 or the 500 debt canceled, right? And Simon's starting probably to see where Jesus is going and he says, this is such a religious answer. He says, well, I suppose, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt canceled. Right? And Jesus said, that's the first right answer you've had all day. Right? That's an easy question. 500 versus 50. Right? In our terms, we could do 500,000 versus 50 grand. Right? You're not going to have the same response on those two numbers. So Jesus made up a story to make a point all right, to Simon and to us. And then we'll pick up so you can see word for word how it goes from here. Verse 44, then turning towards the woman. This is the first time he turns towards the woman. Jesus turns toward the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Right? There's no indication that Simon has any visual impairment. Right? He, he's not, he, he doesn't have, he, of course he sees the woman. The point is not do you visually see her. It's do you see her as a God-created image bearer of the king? Do you see her for what she is, a human being with dignity that comes from God because she bears the image of her creator, God? Is that what you see? Or do you see what she's known for? Right? There, there's folks in this room, and I love you. You're in this room, and you would say, I'm not self-righteous. Right? Sometimes, sometimes it's not you attacking people. Sometimes it's how you talk under your breath, and sometimes it's how you think 
Do you see people as image bearers of God or do you see them for their worst day or their mistake or their reputation or whatever, 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 right? That's part of the problem because here's what I, I, I can identify in some ways with this woman. Some of you can too. Here's what these people know. They have unbelievable radars. They can sniff your self-righteousness. They know love and acceptance and they know fake love and acceptance where you're going to be nice to their face and then talk about them on the way home, Right? They, they can feel it because they've been judged their, and condemned their whole life. So we're trying to create an environment and a church that loves the long shot, but we can't fake it. We can't say we love the long shot and then whoever, whatever person from whatever walk of life, whatever you want to think about comes in here, they'll know if they're loved and accepted. They will feel it, right? And we've got to all be a part of creating an environment that loves the long shot. So Jesus told um, that story. And then um, he, ad he addresses her. Do you see this woman? And he says to Simon, hey, I entered your house. What'd you give me? You gave me no water. She's wet my feet with her tears and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. I know that's weird, but it's just honor, right? It's just kissing feet. It's just, you wel she welcomed me. And what have you done except judge her? Then he said, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, comma, let's stop right there, all right? Her sins, therefore, I tell you, because she has come and honored and worshiped me, I tell you, that some, we live in a culture, even in church culture sometimes today, where we don't understand that grace and truth go together. We think grace is telling people their sins don't matter, right? Sin matters. Sin is harmful. Sin hurts people. Sin separates from God. Sin is real, right? We have a holy God, right? So Jesus doesn't do that, right? Some of our version of Jesus, you think he's going to say, you know what? Your sin's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. You've sinned a little, but well, hey, we've all sinned, right? That's not what he says. He says, your sins, which are many, right? We're not supposed to compare sin stacks, but if we do, he's saying her pile is large. Maybe you can relate. Right? Her sin has been public and known. She's got a big pile of sin. And Jesus, the Son of God, does not, does not ignore that. He says it right out there for all of us to see in Scripture forever. He says, your sins are many, comma, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That's loving the long shot right there. God loves the long shot. Why? Why does God love the long shot? We'll get to that. He's not done. He now does look to her in verse 48. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then other people at the table with him, they begin to say among themselves, uh, which they didn't learn the lesson from Simon. He, they say, hey, who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. The, the ointment and all that, he says, all that led to the forgiveness of sins because it demonstrates that you believe what you heard. You believe that by faith, right? By faith, and he hasn't even gone to the cross and like validated and done the actual gospel event of saving us, 
but her faith in him is enough in this moment to save her, right? He's going to go and he's going to handle. That's the point of the cross. That's why it's offensive to the cross if you think my sins are too many to come home to God. Jesus went to a cross so there would never be that. That's why we're telling this story. It doesn't matter how high the pile is, the cross covers it. If you trust it and put your faith in it, and he said, go in peace, and he forgave her. Why does God love the long shot, right? Because forgiven much loves much. Long shots, the longer the shot, the greater the glory. You understand? The longer the shot, if you want to go basketball, right? Close shot, those are supposed to be easy shots, right? The further you step back behind the three-point line, the more oohs and ahs you get. The longer the shot, the greater the glory, right? Because she had this crazy life, and she was so moved because she'd never been loved and accepted, the further away you are when God brings you close, the more it moves your heart. The longer the shot, the greater the glory, right? So that's who we want to be. Um, so many in this room, look around, y'all. So many in this room, your lives cannot be explained except for God. Right? If we'd have taken odds, you were longer odds than the Denver Nuggets. If we'd have taken odds on some of you, January 1, 2000, the first day of the 21st century, right, that you would be here today in 2023 as a follower of Jesus, some of those odds, whoo, way. There was no, they, Vegas was like, we're not taking odds on that because it's too long of odds. Right? Some of the odds that some of you would be here today in this room, even five years ago, right? there's a lot of long odds in this church, and we celebrate that. And some of you are like, man, I don't, I don't really, you know, I haven't done any crazy stuff. I don't really live. I don't know if I'm a really a long shot. Listen, all of us are a long shot. Jesus said a few chapters before this in Luke 5, the Pharisees and the scribes, these were Simon's people, the religious people were grumbling at his disciples, Luke 5. And they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You ever, uh, my, my boys are in this, uh, in this service. You ever sitting down with your kids trying to get to the bottom of something and you ask somebody a pointed question Eli, what happened outside? And Jackson starts talking. I'm like, I didn't say anything to you, right? I'm not talking to you. Don't cover for your brother, right? So they're coming at the disciples with, hey, why are y'all eating with these sinners? What are you doing? And Jesus steps in and doesn't let the disciples answer. He's like, this is too big of a question. I, you guys will mess this up, right? They're, gonna, they're probably say, because we're hungry? I don't know, right? And Jesus, Jesus, next verse, steps in, and Jesus answered a question that was not asked of him. He said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right now, this, this doesn't translate culturally as well, because back then you would never go to a doctor unless you were sick. Today, they've tricked us into going to the doctor even if we feel good. Wellness checks, right? Pay money for a doctor to say you're good, right? I do it too, right? But Jesus' point is simple. You don't go to the doctor unless you're sick. I'm not here for the healthy people. I'm here for the sick. I'm here to call sinners home, not righteous people, but sinners to repentance. That's why we're all long shots, because none of us are righteous. That's the point of the gospel. None of in this room, we can, I can say this every service till Jesus comes back. We'll never have somebody walk in who can stand before a holy God and make the case, I am righteous based on how well I've lived my life. There is no, there is nobody. We're all fall short right? So we're all sinners in need to come home in repentance. So we're all sick and we all need the doctor and the doctor is Jesus. Now, some of you think, 
I've heard you say this. It drives me nuts. Don't say this around me. Yeah, you know, I, I, you hear some of the stories. Some, when we make a video at church of somebody's testimony, what is it? It's usually some of these crazy long shot stories, right? So then some of you I've heard in, in small groups and stuff, well, you know, I kind of have a boring testimony. My parents were Christians and I accepted Christ when I was eight and, and I've been following Jesus ever since. There's nothing boring about that testimony. There's nothing, listen, what is boring about a human being who has sinned a, a rebellious human who, who God loved him and created him and said, this is how to live, this is right, this is wrong, and who has rebelled on some level, like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, I'm gonna be selfish, and when that happens, you separate yourself from a holy God with no ability to get back. Like, that sin is stuck to you forever, right? What is boring about someone Except through faith, accepting and coming to know Jesus and receive what he gives. And then one day when they breathe their last breath, they're going to live forever forgiven, that their sin will never be counted against them. There's nothing boring about the testimony where your sin will never be counted against you. Are you kidding me? There's no boring testimony if you belong to Jesus. You know what a long shot that is? You know, there's people in this room maybe, and I know in, in, your, in our city that would say, if you think you're going to live forever, that's a long shot. It's a pretty long shot that you would live forever, that your sins would all be forgiven. But that's true, and that's available, right? So we're all long shots if you look at it that way. And we want to create a church that really does love the long shot, right? I'm a long shot as your pastor, right? I'm a long shot in a bunch of ways, and I've talked about those. But in a new way now with my medical story, I've got another layer of long shotness to me. Right, so we, this week will be seven months since the stroke I had in November. And, and for me to stand up here, I was a long shot. Um, I've been, there's been medical people that have used the phrase walking miracle, right? And that always like, oh man, I, that's great, but it's like, oh yeah, that's true. Um, uh, this, this week, I, or a couple weeks ago, I had my six month kind of checkup, check in. It's the first time I'd seen my neurosurgeon since um, December. Um, so he, uh, he's an awesome doctor, older man. He walks in the door and he closes it back and he opens it again. He's like, where's David Jones? You're not him. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're making jokes and he's making beard jokes because I had the beard. He's, and, and he said, he said the, what's this stuff? And then he also said, the look on your face, it's a lot less concerned than the David Jones I saw in December. So he could see like uh, more of a piece, praise God. So he I'd had a scan of my carotid artery, which is the one that dissected. So he's doing all these graphs and pictures on the TV and the monitor telling me about my blood flow and how the blood is flowing really well. And he says, but, you know, we could stent the, the, the vein because it's not all the way open um, like a perfect, beautiful vein is. It's not all the way open. Um, but honestly, the blood's flowing well. You've had zero of the symptoms that we're worried about in almost seven months. In stroke world, that's a long time. He said, I, I really don't think we need to stent you. I think it's more of a risk to stent you than it would be to not. So the only reason to stent you would be to make your vein real beautiful. And I, I was thinking of y'all, y'all don't love, I know you love me. You don't love me because of my beautiful veins, right? So I was like, if you don't need to do it, then we don't need to do it. And I said, but here's my question that I've been waiting for six months to ask you because I don't know the answer. I've wanted to get, and I want to know how you feel about this phrase, doc, out of the woods. Would you be comfortable saying that I'm out of the woods at this point? Right, and you know doctors, you know, he's like, oh, you know, that's an interesting phrase. And he laughs and he says, you know what? I, I would say, yes, I'm comfortable with that phrase with one caveat. I'm like, what's that? 
He's like, as long as you understand that you will have always had a stroke, so you've got to be careful and you've got to do some things you've learned and you always will need to remember that, be, watch out for this symptom and that. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I didn't really hear any of that. All I heard was he said, yes, out of the woods. I'm out of those woods, all right? Amen, amen. Now, I'm not, I'm not back. Some of you guys have been so encouraging, and I, it's well-intentioned. I'm not mad about it. Some of you have grabbed me through these months and after whatever, and like, hey, you're back, right? You don't, you don't get to tell me I'm back. I'm not back. I still am I'm fighting some things, and um, I'm, I'm two steps forward, one step back. When I am all the way back, I'll be up here screaming that I'm back, and you'll know, but we're, we're getting there. Praise God. So I asked him in that. I was like, Doc, you know I've struggled with anxiety and some of this stuff, and you're telling me that my vein isn't perfect, but it's good enough. Like, you know, what am I supposed to do uh, with that? You know, and, and do I need to worry about, you know, this or that? And he said, you, can't, you need to worry about it like you worry about getting hit by a brick if you're walking down the street. I was like, man, I've walked down many streets never once have I even looked up for a brick. And so for a neurosurgeon who's my doctor, to say that, I was super encouraged of, okay, I'm not going to live in that, in that fear because here's another doctor that God's put before me. And I told him, I prayed about your answer because I knew I was going to ask you this. And so I've gone back to that, you know, even in the couple weeks since then with some tough moments and some different things of like, okay, I'm not going to worry uh, about a brick. So I'm, I've, I've beat some odds. If you know strokes and that I've never had left side, I've never had walking or talking issues, um, and, and I've beat a bunch of odds. And I don't say that like, and it's not, my wife is in first service. It's not because I've been an incredible patient. I promise you, that's not why, because I've done all the stuff I'm supposed to do, right? The reason is, is because God loves the long shot. We're a praying church. You've been praying for me. Keep it up. And God loves the glory he's going to get from my recovery, Amen. right? The longer the shot, the crazier the situation, whether it's sin or physical or whatever you're bringing into the room, whatever can't ever be of whatever, oh no, whatever stats, God loves that, right? He doesn't love your pain, but he loves the opportunity that our struggles because he receives more glory. And I just need us to understand we're a long shot as a church. We talk all the time about being a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement. Each piece of that, we're against the odds. To center a church on the gospel and stay with that, it is so easy to veer off course as leaders, as a church, and as individuals. Why? Because our default, what do we drift? We always drift back to performance. We always drift back to how am I doing? Some of you are so good at beating yourself up. Um, you know, the long shot for any church to base it on credible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. We didn't rescue ourselves. We didn't save ourselves. We don't sanctify ourselves. All the hard work he does. So we center our lives on that truth. To do that together and to stay planted on that, that's a long shot, right? The, the whole gospel is offensive. The whole gospel is built on, on your very best day. Anybody have your best day this week? On your very best day spiritually, you did everything right, whatever. On your very best day, you fall miles short of holy. Like your best day is worthless in the sight of God if it's like, if you're trying to prove something to him, Right? And it's easy to get back into performance where the gospel is always going to bring back to, she didn't do anything. Yes, she worshiped him, but her faith, he said, your faith saves you. Now go in peace. One of my favorite pastors went to heaven a few weeks ago, Tim Keller. Um, look at this quote. He has so many great quotes. He said, religion says, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel says, God loves and accepts me. Therefore, I want to obey. It's beautiful. 
right? And it is hard to stay there because we, we, we naturally want to teach people, you know, obey out of guilt or fear or threat or all those things. This woman, we don't see anything else about her in scripture. We don't, I'm going to meet her one day in heaven. I'm going to learn her name. All right. We don't know. I don't worry about, well, did she go back to her life of sin? He said, go in peace, right? We know that the love and acceptance of Jesus motivates you to obedience. It completely changes and transforms your life. We've seen it over and over and over again. The gospel changes us. So we've got to keep centering on the gospel, but there's been a million churches planted and it's hard to stay as a gospel-centered life and a gospel-centered church. It's so easy to get back into performance and how am I doing? You know, and am I performing for this God who did all this for me? And to forget that the, the, his heart is for the long shot. Well, let's look at Paul, right? Paul's the longest shot of them all. Saul, who became Paul, wrote more than the New Testament than anybody else. He tried to kill Christians. He was, he was that against the movement of Christianity, and God picked him. And he tells us why. It's the most amazing scripture if you've never seen it. It's from 1 Timothy. Paul tells us through the Holy Spirit why he got picked to be such a big leader in the movement. Um, and I haven't memorized 1 Timothy, so I'll need to read it. There we go. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is Paul talking, who's given me strength. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I once was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and he says this kindly about himself, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace and faith and love were poured out on him. Right? Here's... And he tells us why. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, why did God pick the worst that he could find? For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for who? For us. For those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that an amen scripture? Leave that up there. That's just, I was shown mercy that me, the worst of sinners, he might display his immense patience. And he picked a sin that hardly anybody struggles with. He knew that I would be speaking this today. And none of you are like, yeah, I've killed a bunch of Christians, man. That's me, right? He went so to the extreme. He picked a guy who was part, a part of persecution, imprisonment, and execution of Christians so nobody would have that excuse of I'm too far gone so that he could show the immense patience. Some of you are like, I'm thinking about taking a step. I'm thinking about coming back home. I'm thinking about baptism. I'm thinking about surrender. Oh, but I've been thinking about it. And every time I get close, I back up. He has immense patience with you and with us and with whatever your next step is. So it's hard to stay home on the gospel. That's what we're working and praying to do. Second, forever focused. You know how hard this is because we're so immediate. We're so short term. We're so get food quick, get everything happen quick. We don't like processes. We don't like long term. I mentioned the Denver Nuggets who are going to win the championship this week, I think. Um, now watch after I use that, watch Miami come back and just ruin this whole message. Um, their coach, Michael Malone, has been there almost 10 years. He's the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. There's only three coaches um, that have been wherever they are longer than Michael Malone, which most of you have never heard of Michael Malone, right? And he's had years in Denver where they lost in the playoffs, maybe lost to some teams they shouldn't have. 
And usually in the NBA, when you do that, you get fired, but they stayed with them. But our culture says, hey, if you don't like it, fire them, get rid of the next coach, get, fire that coach, get rid of that one, get a new one. Our marriage culture says, if you get sick of her, fire her and get a new one, right? Our, all this stuff is just not stick with it. And we're called to be a f- forever focus. We built this church asking the question, what if young, old, multi-generational, what, what if we had a group of people that said, hey, what does it look like to live our lives like we know forever is coming? What can we do here in Raleigh, North Carolina that will actually matter in forever? Right? What would that look like? Let's focus on it. And it comes from this scripture where that Paul that was the worst of sinners wrote to a church in Corinth and he said, we don't lose heart based on the gospel. Outwardly, we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, which don't feel light or momentary, but the truth is they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what we can't see, because what we see is temporary. It's not going to be here long. But what is unseen is eternal. It will last forever. And that's hard to remember in the daily hardness of life. Forever is coming. We're closer today than we've ever been. Right? So it's a long shot that we can live on the truth of forever. And the multi-ethnic movement, that may be the biggest long shot of it. You know, there's a reason that the multi-ethnic movement didn't exist for 220 years in the history of our country. There's a reason when I talk to young church planters and, and when people do church planting, they're like, you know, church planting is so hard. Simplify it, right? Multi-ethnic, you're just making it harder, right? It's hard enough to plant a church. When you, when you do a multi-ethnic church plant, you're bringing all this racial tension and headlines and political tension. Like, you know, we, we don't, you know you're just making it harder on yourself, right? And, and for us, it's who God called us to be. We believe it's who God said his church was going to be, his church, wherever his church went. Whoever couldn't be in the same room together, for whatever reason, the gospel was able to unite them miraculously, supernaturally. So we're seeing that in the multi-ethnic church, but the odds are stacked against us. And we, we love that. We want to embrace that um, because God loves it, the long shot. Why? Because he receives more glory. Um, when there's stuff that isn't happening or whoever says can't happen, and it does. And I want you to apply that not just to our church, but to your own life. What have they said about you that you could never, you could never this, you could never that? Here's the difference. Here's, uh, back in the day um, in Kentucky, uh, we went to the horse track. I don't, we don't have horse tracks here, do we, in North Carolina? But we would, go, we would go to Keeneland, which is this famous, it's not like Churchill Downs, Kentucky Derby, but it's the next step. It was real close to where we lived. And uh, I learned the whole system and exactas and bets and all this, and I bet on this horse called the Happy Hopper, right? And he was a long shot. I don't remember what his odds were, but they long, because I won hundreds and hundreds of dollars on one little ticket, right? I'd never, like I was young in my young early 20s, and I was like, what is happening? What I didn't know, because I was with my mom and dad, what I didn't know is when you win big like that, they expect you to buy dinner, right? So I had to buy, like all my winnings went to Joe's Crab Shack that night, but uh, I didn't have any inside information. Like I didn't like talk to the, like I wasn't so smart that I knew Happy Hopper was going to win. Nobody else knew big odds. I just liked the name. That was it right? Don't, don't miss this that you think, well, God's like, he's, he's God, so he knows who the potential is in, so he bets on those people like Paul, so then when they come through for him, well, God had inside information. It's not that at all. It's that God changed Saul into Paul. He cheats, right? He goes and finds the Denver Nuggets who are not a champion and have never been a champion, then he transforms you into a champion. That way, why? So he gets all the credit. We're all about transformation over transaction, Transaction is simple. There wasn't a transaction. There, some of you, if you know sports, you think, well, why were their odds so long? Because they'd never done it before. 
right? What, there wasn't a transaction. They didn't trade for some great player midseason, and that's why they're about to be champions. They transformed into a championship team through coaching, through work, through all kinds of things. That's what God does. He doesn't, right? If you're struggling financially, he doesn't like drop an anonymous check in the mailbox for you to get financially healthy and disciplined, right? It's a process. He changes your heart and your mind and how you think and how you behave, and he'll change you, and he'll change your marriage, and he'll change your relationships, and he'll change how you view him, and he'll change who you are. It's transformation, not transaction, and transformation takes longer than transaction. That's why it's a long shot. If you're not changing, you don't understand the gospel. Some of you have been Christian for 40 years, right? The scripture would teach us that in your 40th year, you'd be changing more than in your 39th year, not less. Some of you think, oh, once I've been doing this for a while, I get there. No, the more you follow Jesus, the more he's going to transform you into who he created you to be. Why? Because that's how he receives glory, right? So the, the, the example is this prostitute in the story who God forgives and says, go in peace. So some of you are like, well, yeah, I'm never really, I don't, I don't identify with that at all, right? Some of it is just, who could you become? That's your long shot. Who could you become that odds are you would never become, right? I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like to read, so I could never study the Bible. Yes, you can. You could become somebody who loves the word and, and, and wants it like you want breakfast in the morning. You just desire it, right? And there's all kinds of cultural stats that tell you if, you're, if, you're, if your family tree struggle, struggle with addiction, then you're probably going to struggle with addiction. If you have divorce all through your family tree, then you're more likely to be divorced. And those stats are real. I can't tell you they're not true. I just tell you they're not of God. God is about changing family trees. He doesn't care what was. When he's transforming you, what was for your grandparents doesn't have to be for your grandkids. That's the power of the gospel. He changes us. He changes family trees. And for some of you, it's not some of these sins. The gospel is anti-performance. Some of you, the long shot for you, you spent your whole life trying to achieve and perform. You spent your whole life trying to please mom and dad, trying to please boss, trying to get the pat on the back. You just so desperately want to be accepted. For you to step into the acceptance of Jesus that you didn't earn or work for is the longest shot in the room. For you just to allow to soak your life in the truth that you didn't earn it, you can't earn it, and he loves you anyway. It's a long shot. Right? Some of you think, yeah, I'll, I'm getting there, but I'll never, I'll never get over this. Right? Whatever you don't think you can get over, that's what he does. He breaks the unbreakable. Right? Some of your grandkids, I'm talking to young people now that aren't even married. Some of your grandkids are going to live different lives because of what God's doing in your life. Right? I talk to men when we do our men's retreat. You know, Father's Day is next week, Chauncey mentioned. We're, we're, raising, we're raising our kids differently. I'm not saying our dads are bad and we're the best. I'm just saying... When we do relentless stuff, this is for years, different groups of men, different age of men. And I say, hey, raise your hand or stand up, whatever. We won't do this in the room now. Raise your hand if it was normal as it could be for your dad to look you in the eyes and say, I love you, right? And it's usually 10 to 20% of men stand up. 80 to 90%, that was not normal. I know that's normal in our church. A lot of our dads, we do that. And then I ask the next question. How many of you would say you learned what it looks like to follow Jesus most from your earthly father? And it's usually about 5% of men that stand up. There's a whole bunch of kids back here in the elementary room. One day in a small group somewhere, they're going to say, I learned to follow. He wasn't perfect, but I watched my dad follow Jesus. That, you, you understand how huge that is? Like that is, you know, people want to change the world. That's how you change the world, how we live, how we, how we raise. So whatever wasn't before you doesn't matter. 
Because God loves the long shot. Why? Because the, the longer the shot, the greater the glory. It's not, hey, I just decided to get my financial house in order and I read a book and I bared down. No, it is that God transformed me and I started to see my finances through his eyes. It's, it's, I, started to, I started to see people as God saw them. And as I started to see them as God saw them, I started to treat people different. Some of you would say, yeah, I don't share my faith. I'm just not good at that, right? That's a transformation. He doesn't He doesn't just pick the people that he gave that gift to. He wants to change you and make you more bold based on seeing people how he sees them. There are people that don't think love and acceptance is real or possible. It is our job to make sure, hey, you can reject Jesus for a lot of reasons, but one reason cannot be because you're not loved and accepted. And how are you loved and accepted by Jesus today? Because he's not walking the earth. It's us. What are we? We're the body of Christ. Hands, feet, mouth, arms, hugs of Jesus. We get to be that. So if Jesus loved the long shot, then his church has to love the long shot. We got to get excited about the people that are written off, the people that have long odds to ever sit in the chair you're sitting on. You know somebody who, if we're taking bets, hey, who's that person, that old roommate, that coworker, who's that person that would say no the quickest and the loudest if you invited them to church? That's the one. Right? That's the long shot. God loves the long shot. Why? Because when they come and the gospel takes root and they begin to change, People see them are like, who are you? And they tell them, and who gets the glory? God. The longer the shot, the greater the glory. The longer the shot, the greater the glory. In your marriage, maybe you come from one of those where your parents didn't stay together and your spouse's parents didn't stay together. Right? That's a big deal. That's why we celebrate anniversaries. Every year is another praise God, glory to God, because I'm changing cycles of addiction and of all kinds of other things. And Glory to God. The longer the shot, the worse stuff you come from, the greater the glory that can be, right? Whether that's spiritual, physical, marital, financial, whatever. We're, uh, we're excited about changing family trees on all kinds of ways. We got to start with just remembering who Jesus was. Jesus had a chance. This guy thought, well, you can't be close to God because if you're close to God, then you'd be running from her. And Jesus flipped it And told a story, no, she is forgiven and saved because she loves much. The more you understand you've been forgiven from, we don't want to dwell on our sin. We don't want to glorify what some of us used to be. I look around this room. There are people in this room that used to do everything. There's people in this room, hey, that when somebody did you wrong and you want to take care of business, you would call that person and they would go with their baseball bat and handle things. Those those guys are in here and they they don't handle baseball bats anymore. They're different. They're changed. Why? Because the gospel is real and it actually changes us. So we got all kinds of change that's happening as we change, right? We see people for what God could do in them, not what they are or where they come from. So help us set that culture in our church. Now, I'm going to pray that over us. Father, thank you for loving the long shot. God, would you remind some of us, some of us maybe for the first time in a long time, would you remind us in our heart right now how much you love us? And why you love us is because you're God and you're our Father and you created us in your own image, not because we've behaved well, not because we've always been faithful because we haven't, but your love is real and it keeps coming. And we thank you for that, that relentless love that is so real. God, I pray it would move us again and, and those of us who have been forgiven much would love much and that we would be a church that really does in word and deed love the long shot. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you go, because I want you to clap at the end, because the second service likes to clap at the end. First service doesn't. It hurts my feelings. But quick announcement. So talk about long shots. Culturally, 
And church, this is in America, bigger than relentless. In America, Mother's Day is a big attended day. Why? Because, hey, mom, what do you want to do tomorrow? I want to go to church, and I want you to go with me, even though you never go. Everybody's coming, so everybody walks in on Mother's Day, right? And it's a big day. Father's Day is the opposite. It's one of the lowest attended days in church. Why? Hey, Dad, what do you want to do this weekend? Nothing. All right, we're doing nothing, right? And it's like, so let's, let's, it's a long shot, but I don't think that's who we are at Relentless Church. So come next week, because we're going to continue this series. And I got to tell you this, I use this phrase, I don't use this phrase lightly. My dear brother, Kambui Tendaji, I love this man. He has been with me through this whole crazy walk. If you remember Kambui, he spoke um, in my sabbatical. He is a local pastor. He's not coming from out of town. He works at a big church here in Raleigh. And he asked off vacation time from his church so he could come speak to us. You talk about a long shot story. You're going to hear some of his story. If you miss it, that's on you because I'm telling you in advance, he's going to blow you away. God's going to move through the message that he's going to give the next two weeks, starting with Father's Day. All right. So are you with me? With, let's bless him next week. <laughs> Hope to see you here. I'll be here ready to receive from God right beside you. All right. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>